This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello. And welcome to Line Dance Podcast Mobile Edition. <laughs> Megan and I are returning to our roots for this episode and recording on the way to Stoney's Rockin' Rodeo up in Sacramento, California because Buzzsprout, my current podcast host, gives you a certain number of hours to fill that you pay for each month, and we haven't filled them yet. We have about four hours to go in the next day before anything extra is wasted. So, we are taking a look at all of the notes that I had ages ago on line dance related things and discussing them finally, because otherwise they just stay in the vault forever and are of use to no one. So. Buttons! Buttons! Say hello, Megan. Hi! I thought you were going to say hello, Megan. <laughs> Alright. That's cute, too. Okie dokie. So the first one we have here is one that we started to talk about at the gas station when we were filling up, but we figured we would save it for the episode. Uh, let's see. Explaining an idea slash dance on the floor or otherwise can distract you into the flow state. And Megan said, what do you mean distract you into the flow state? Because usually you think of being knocked out of it. However, my supposition, I suppose, when I was writing that at the time was that if you are too focused on one thing and you're too, for lack of a better term, good at it, uh, then you get you know, just kind of bored doing whatever the thing is. But kind of like how some people feel kind of a thrill uh, of texting while they dance because they don't know. It's like an added obstacle. Can they do all the the walls and, and everything while they are half doing this other thing? Uh, sometimes talking somebody through stuff, kind of like when somebody says like, oh, I have to go, and you're still dancing the dance while you're saying, oh, am I going to see you later? Like your your head is in this other space completely. You're talking about something unrelated to the dance, but your body is still going, and it feels like cheating almost, almost like you know, miraculous. Like how is this happening? Who is dancing? It's not me. I'm doing something else. I'm in a conversation. But something is dancing in my body. What is that essence? What is that entity? So possibly explaining something on the floor or otherwise can distract you into that flow state by overwhelming your senses and, and leading your body into just um, action without thought. That, that's what I think I meant when I wrote that. That makes sense. Um, I do have a quick suggestion, if you'd be so kind, as to just do a brief summary of what flow state is in case someone listening does not know what flow state is or has not heard our previous episode in which we've mentioned it. Sure. Actually, you know, it has been a while since we have discussed flow state at all, and it's definitely something that has fascinated me. Uh, At the time that I first started reading about it, I saw a lot of parallels with what happens in line dance. Uh, I will pull up the Wikipedia article. Flow, parentheses, psychology. In positive psychology, flow, also known colloquially, colloquially as being in the zone, 
is the mental state of operation in which a person performing an activity is fully immersed in a feeling of energized focus, full involvement, and enjoyment in the process of the activity. In essence, flow is characterized by complete absorption in what one does, and as a resulting loss in one's sense of space and time. Named by Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi in 1975, the concept has been widely referred to across a variety of fields and has an especially big recognition in occupational therapy. Therapy, though the concept has existed for thousands of years under other names, notably in some Eastern religions. Flow shares many characteristics with hyperfocus. However, hyperfocus is not always described in a positive light. Some examples include spending, quote, too much time playing video games or getting sidetracked and pleasurably absorbed by one aspect of an assignment or task to the detriment of the overall assignment. In some cases, hyperfocus can capture a person, perhaps causing them to appear unfocused or to start several projects, but complete few. Jean Nakamura and Csikszentmihalyi identified the following six factors as encompassing an experience of flow. 1. Intense and focused concentration on the present moment. 2. Merging of action and awareness. 3. A loss of reflective self-consciousness. 4. A sense of personal control or agency over the situation or activity. 5. A distortion of temporal experience. One's subjective experience of time is altered. 6. Experience of the activity as intrinsically rewarding, also referred to as autotelic experience. Those aspects can appear independently of each other, but only in combination do they constitute a so-called flow experience. Additionally, psychology writer Kendra Cherry has mentioned three other components that Csikszentmihalyi lists as being a part of the flow experience. One, immediate feedback. Two, feeling that you have the potential to succeed. Three, feeling so engrossed in the experience that other needs become negligible. Just as with the condition, conditions listed above, these conditions can be independent of one another. I'm glad you actually asked me to, um, to, to go further in depth with what flow is because I look one column to my left and I see line dance and flow. Apparently I, I wrote a whole section on this piece of paper about line dance and flow. So, that was one little tip of the iceberg point that I wrote here about explaining an idea slash dance on the floor or otherwise can distract you in the flow state. Would you agree that having a slight distraction can overwhelm your senses and make you feel more in the zone? Or um, do you need to not have people talking to you and other things grabbing your attention? I think it depends on the circumstance because I can certainly get out there and do a dance and have my mind wander. So I, and even though I'm like, I look like I'm dancing and I'm having fun or whatever, I'm in a totally different world doing something else, thinking about something else. Um, and so there I'm not actually achieving flow state. Whereas there's that, idea of like when you were describing all breaking down all of um the flow state criteria or whatever the saying uh time flies when you're having fun came to mind as like a quick you know uh summary of it it's the idea of like you know you lose all sense of time 
because you're just so focused in this zone or whatever. Um, and you know, a lot of times stuff like that happens, you know, perfect example. We were having a lot of fun last night, um, teaching at Twin Oaks. And before I know it, I looked down at my, my clock and it's nine thirty at night. I'm like, wait a minute, where'd the time go? So I can, and that was a lot of interaction of teaching and calling steps out on the floor. And because I am, um, you know, an, an instructor, calling steps out on the floor definitely is my zone. It is something I'm very comfortable with. It's something that I enjoy doing if more people are able to dance. Um, and I can really get in a zone when calling those steps that is comfortable for me. So I can definitely see how depending on the circumstances, having that like minor little distraction from just just dancing can actually get you the achievement. However, um, I can also see how, you know, if so, a bunch of people are talking on the sidelines and you're not part of that, that distraction can be, in fact, a distraction from the flow state. Okay. Let's see what else is on this very old piece of paper. When I say old, I'm thinking like 2014, 2015, maybe even older than that. So let's see what we got. Some of them may seem like they're related to nothing. And uh, Go for it. here's one of them. Being on the dance floor with a master gives you the feeling of being equal with him. I just say him, but you, know, you could be her like Joe. Um, legitimized by him being the master among others make you feel makes you feel more like that role while being generous enough to add your contribution nobody wants to feel like a bad dancer with nobody watching nobody judging nobody limiting you and nobody recording nobody will ever know that you danced less than as well as you felt i think those are two separate concepts and then i have a third one after that uh, I guess I'll say the third one as well. Line dancing is where you can feel like a star without being one. Okay, so I guess the first concept is this idea that when somebody like Rachel is up on stage teaching you a dance, it feels like there's a difference. There's a separation because of the height and her role, her voice. You don't get a voice. Uh, she has a microphone. She has speakers. And she's probably dressed fancier than some people, or at least, you know, later in the evening. Um, even during the day, she might have very sparkly boots on, like Joe. Um, I know that some, sometimes people will dress more casually during the day for their teaches, and that, you know, can feel more like everyone's the same, which is nice. But you really get that same, that feeling of sameness when you're on the floor together. They're not in the front row uh, with a bunch of space around them, with everyone watching. It's not about them. It's about everybody dancing together. And I, I know that Joe kind of makes her way around the floor just kind of naturally. You know, she'll, she'll be dancing in one area and then she'll maybe go see her friend across the other side of the room who has, she hasn't said hi to yet. And then once another song comes on, she doesn't go back to her spot. She'll just dance right there, wherever she is. Could be in the back corner, could be in you know, the middle of the floor if, uh, if she knows somebody who's there kind of wherever she ends up and because everybody gets a sense that oh wow Joe was dancing near me during that one dance that I feel really confident in everybody gets a chance to feel like you know they really saw her they interacted with her they have some kind of mild 
uh, friendship with her even, you know, it, whether or not they spoke very much. Um, and that can be really special for people. So I think it's important uh, in the next point, you know, uh, you know, being the master among others makes you feel more like that role while being generous enough to add your contribution. Um, if you are in a position where you can equalize yourself and kind of humble yourself with others, then you know, they'll get a kick out of that. And it's just good for, you know, your character to not get, you know, too big a head. Because I, I, I've heard people who've been in the scene long enough, they'll, they'll describe, you know, somebody started out just like everyone else, you know, just a dancer, like everyone else, just doing it for fun. And then time goes by and they get this idea of how they're different from everyone and they, they hold on to that. They don't go back the other way and try to remember what it was like just being a dancer. They kind of go off and into the clouds somewhere. So, you know, it, it's good both ways uh, to remember that you're all equals. It's one of those great places in the world um, where you can feel equal with people's on the dance floor. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with the point of the statement that, like, when you're dancing with a master, you feel more equalized because it's, it's one of those, like, yeah, you get excited when you're dancing next to some of these you know, choreographers and instructors, especially when they're superstars um, in their competition levels and they're, you know, they've made such a name for themselves because of the dances they've choreographed and the events they've traveled to and their um, abilities to in teaching and instructing. Um, there is a certain, like, starstruck kind of feeling that you can get but with them being down on the same floor as you, it's more of a shared experience than it is so much of a, well, yeah, of course, you know, Rachel's naturally going to be um, the instructor and I'm the pupil versus, look, I get to dance this dance that I learned from Rachel with Rachel now. It's a totally different experience and it does actually help humanize them a little bit as well as give you the perspective that you know you're not that different from them they just have the experience and the passions and you know the knowledge that they do because they've done what they've done um it it kind of puts things more into a realm of reaching same thing like when an instructor makes a mistake on stage and how they recover from it it's it's nice to know that they're human too kind of thing um, as for the next step of being the master, I'm by no means a master, but I definitely know that people have come up and, and like thanked me for dancing near them because I was easy to follow or they've expressed an excitement of dancing can't walk away with us because we are the choreographers of that dance and it's it was hard for me to think of it the same way as like when I get excited to see my friends and choreographers like Joe and Amy and Michael and Michelle and get to dance with them and like be like, oh yeah, I get to dance the dance you created with you. And that's exciting for me. And it's weird for me to be on the receiving end of that. Um, but I have to, I, I'm able to put myself in the perspective of the, I know what they're seeing. It's just weird that they're seeing it in me. Um, 
and I I think it's a very humbling experience personally for myself um, when that kind of situation occurs. Um, but I definitely think it's important to you know certainly remember we all started in the same place, which is knowing nothing, you know, <laughs> and we've all had our own journeys and experiences that have created us into the level of dancer that we are currently and although someone like Rachel and Joe have the talent and expertise that they do it doesn't mean that you know on my journey if I put in the same amount of time and kind of effort that they did that I couldn't achieve something similar in my own path so yeah I think it's I think it's important that uh, you stay humble when you're the more experienced individual in the situation. After that, I've got here, uh, nobody wants to feel like a bad dancer with nobody watching, nobody judging, nobody limiting you and nobody recording. Nobody will ever know that you danced less than as well as you felt. And I think the idea I was going for there, since I had zero technique at this point, uh, coming fresh out of the bars. Uh, if I feel when I'm dancing, like, um, I'm trying to find a, a metaphor other than like a shooting star or like a rocket or something. If I'm feeling amazing, like Broadway or something, even with like, you know, 80 other people on the floor with me, if in my head or in my little space, I feel like I'm totally nailing hurts like a cha-cha or whatever it is. Um, it doesn't matter if nobody can see me and uh, I'm not on, on anyone's smartphone, then it doesn't matter how I really look. It's how I feel. And by not having an observer, it's I, right before that I wrote, nobody wants to feel like a bad dancer. It's the observing that makes you feel bad. You know, if you watch back a video of yourself and now you start to criticize, or if you see yourself in a mirror and you start to criticize, or somebody tells you, like, oh, God, I really thought you were going to hurt yourself when you did that thing. And you're feeling like I was completely balanced. There was nothing wrong with what I was doing. Uh, I never felt out of control. Uh, maybe it just looked odd because it's not the way you do it. But, you know, the human body moves in a lot of ways. And I never felt tension or stress or torque. So I'm not sure what it is you saw. But now I feel weird about doing what comes naturally because even if you're not there, I'm going to feel judged. Um and I guess that must have related to what the, what I wrote afterward, which was line dancing is where you can feel like a star without being one. So you don't have to have all the accolades or the dance degree or whatever it is that you think you need to be a legitimate, uh, you know, bona fide line dancer, capital letters. You can just be in your little zone, not on the live stream, uh, not recording yourself or being recorded by others and not having people come up and give you a bunch of unsolicited feedback and feel like Rachel. Yeah. Thoughts on that? Um, I definitely agree with the idea that um, it is about how you feel more so than how you look. Um, I know that my own experiences, I've certainly looked back on video recordings of myself and went, egad, like, seriously? Why did I think that that looked good? Because <laughs> that looks awful, you know, 
and definitely criticized myself that way. Um, it is a great learning technique or a learning tool if you're learning technique, obviously, um, because you need to get it right <laughs> if you're doing technique. But that's a whole different story. Um, the idea of dancing for yourself is 100% the reason I think line dancing is as amazing as it is, is because I think it is about dancing for yourself and expressing what you need to express and you get to do it socially among friends. Um, I haven't had many personal experiences where people have commented on my dancing style in a negative light. Um, I'm very fortunate that way. That does not mean they have not thought it though. <laughs> it just means they haven't expressed it to me. Um, but I do know that I have been witness to people making comments about other people's dancing styles. And generally speaking, um, my retort is, well, at least they're having fun. And I kind of leave it at that. Because for me, it is about having fun first and foremost. And I know that there's something about struggling with a dance and then being able to successfully dance it and how it can make you feel like a superstar. It can make you feel like a million dollars that you were able to overcome this challenge and you still might not have the world's greatest technique with it or you might not have it down pat but you can still feel that way and I think that's another one of the great things about line dance this one's interesting um, secret identity poster ads quote hidden country that's a very abbreviated version of whatever it was I was thinking at the time but I think the idea there was when I went to Mavericks or any of these other country bars I consistently wore my plaid and buckle and boots and hat and all that other country attire that you would think you would wear to a country bar. It felt like an alter ego. It felt like my superhero identity because my normal life was very much not that. I started going semi-regularly in 2010 when, or 2009-2010 when I was working at an elementary school as um, a full inclusion aide for a student. So I was just dressed like collared shirts and slacks and dress shoes and going to Kodiak Jacks I was this whole other person uh, even when I went back to school at Sonoma State I was working toward a teaching credential for a couple of years and same thing I was just like a, a college student so I was wearing t-shirts and jeans but nothing country that says like I do these things with my hips that you would not you would not picture me doing in the classroom <laughs> it would be um unbecoming of a gentleman uh, so having these ads I think was um, a way of showing who they are on the streets in their nice business jumper or whatever it is what do people wear in business now I don't know suits 
Um, what, but like women, pantsuits, I'm thinking. Like there's something that women wear that's like specific for them. It's um, still a pantsuit. Yeah, it's a right. suit. And then for guys, it's, you know, the, the shirt and tie and all that. But anyway, then there's like, there's like some kind of secret identity cutaway or something like that. So that maybe imagine like a, a diagonal line cutting across from one ear down across their shoulder or something. So the bottom half, the lower half is... You know, they're all their fancy business stuff, their uh, you know, cravat or whatever it is that's in, tucked into their front front pocket. Um, but the upper half is who they are at night. And that's, you know, the, the fancy eyeshadow and whatever else the girls wear, big earrings. The guys might have their hat and, I don't know, some scruff from not shaving over the course of the day. So that by the evening, maybe they let their five o'clock shadow show, and then they shave before the next morning. I don't even know what what guys would look like differently other than the hat. Uh, but it's just that idea that come to Mavericks, come to Kodiak Jacks, come to wherever your place is, and be that other person. Show show off your superpower on the dance floor in a way that you can't out in the world. I know that when I started line dancing, and I had that secret it made me feel more confident even when I was doing things that weren't dance because I knew that inside me there was this person that had it all figured out that knew all these dances and could even add stuff if I felt like it could navigate around drunk people while I was doing that dance and wouldn't get tired and during the day normally if I was not the kind of person to like go up to some girl in my class and you know try to be study buddies or whatever or feel like a two-hour pre-calculus lecture was too long and I was starting to get, you know, uh, starting to fade a little bit. Uh, I would just channel some of my superpower. And, I mean, at Kodiaks, people were asking, girls were asking me to do drifter, you know, these partner dances. And, you know, I was staying up for six hours at a time dancing and not really feeling winded. So bringing some of that into my normal daily life I think just boosted my human abilities across the board with a little help from my superhero friend that would be what the idea of the ad is like develop and nurture this persona or whatever character um, this better version of you an authentically you version turned up to 11 and just kind of secretly weave that into the rest of your life and see what it does for you. That's what the ads would do. And they would also encourage patronage of the places where you develop that person. I can, I can certainly say that I had a somewhat similar experience when I was first doing the line dancing thing. Um, as of late, I am who I am and it just is. Uh, but you know the first few years it was definitely this is where I could go to be me as opposed to who I was supposed to be for my spouse who I was supposed to be for my mother who I was supposed to be for my boss who I was supposed to be for all these other character hats that I had to put on um I got to go and be the real me when I went line dancing and after a certain amount of time of being the real me in the line dancing um, bar venue, that confidence 
that I exuded at the bars and my abilities to dance, you can't hide that. At a certain point, there's just too much of it, and so it flows over into your other um, areas of your life. And, you know, knowing that I had that to look forward to every week gave me something exciting to to actually anticipate which made me work harder during the interim portions of it because I needed to get there and the way you pass time is by working by you know being distracted and then before you know it it's Thursday night and you get to go dancing um I know that it helped form some amazing friendships and bonds that might not have otherwise come to be because I might not otherwise have talked to those people. I might have made some quick passing judgment of the idea that, oh, no, they're too cool for me, or, oh, no, we don't really have anything in common. They, they're into all this other stuff, and that doesn't really interest me, and, you know, I, I'm good, you know. It's a nice, easy way to bridge that gap, which gives you that kind of ability to then transfer it over again to real life in the sense of like, oh, I can walk up to this person and just talk to them the way I did at that for a certain person at the bar and find out more about them. And who knows, maybe we'd actually be friends. And I can see where like advertising you know, you had a diagonal, I was thinking more just, you know, a vertical lines cut in half and one side be the business attire and the other side be whatever casual, fun, characterish um that you would assume um line dancing looks like, I guess. Um and that show that you can be both people. Um, I do know nowadays, personality-wise, I'm definitely still the same person in pretty much everything I do at this point, but when I'm at a line dance event, I definitely take it up a notch in the sense of, like, um, late night dancing and my my outfits and my hair and makeup. I definitely put more effort and, and, as you like to say, you know, me at 11, you know, crank it up to 11. This is the best me I can be is here on this dance floor in this moment. And so I want to present myself that much better at a line dance event than I do, say, everyday, um, everyday life just because I feel indebted to line dance for my, for my experiences and my life that I have right now. So... I definitely think that having some type of advertisement could be an interesting way to see about getting people involved. Let's see what I've got next here. Oh, now we're getting into the future. Um, Create character holograms that do line dances alongside you. Pay people to, quote, act as them for motion capture and body recording. In sexy outfits for scenery and doing advanced choreography for texture. Give them distant stare. So I guess it would be like a virtual reality way of being at a line dance place, but if you are socially petrified and 
don't want to actually go to a place or maybe you can't easily get to the car and drive and you know walk from your car to the place and then find a seat if all you can do because you have you know whatever issues you have uh, is stand in the middle of your living room and boot the thing up then you can do the dance in a very small space no one's going to pick on you for not moving hardly at all the way they might in person and these virtual reality models will all look like they're just doing it alongside you without noticing that you're there like like normal people would and you would just kind of record these models with uh, like a 3D capture camera like the Kinect camera or something like that which we talked about just recently yeah. it's an interesting idea I think it would be really cool to have like a holographic virtual reality instruction honestly like if you were able to you know have a holographic Joe or Rachel in your living room teaching you your you know the dance I think that'd be really neat and it would be a huge selling point if we could figure out how to do it next we have set aside two hours for creative undistracted time warm up for 15 minutes I wonder how that would work <laughs> you mean the warm up <laughs> well the two hours well we do when you choreograph that's true it, it isn't always intentionally two hours sometimes it just kind of turns into that yeah I mean it would be interesting if you actually made that a daily habit or at least a weekly habit um I'm more intrigued at the idea of warming up. Mm. That would be more interesting than instead of getting the two hours to try and be creative. Oh, yeah, the warm-up, we could have all kinds of exercises like free association, um, solving abstract problems that aren't really supposed to have solutions. Uh, a lot of sketching, I think, would happen. Trying to sketch concepts. Oh, somebody... I think it was on, on Instagram or like Facebook. Somebody said like, I'll give you $50 if you can spell the sound a sniff makes. What? Uh-huh. If I had to... I mean, it's close to like an F sound, maybe. But it's still really hard to put that into like writable letters. Yeah, because I'm like trying to do it with my nose and then my mouth. But anyway, it, it would be exercises like that that make you get out of your normal thought process. Uh, uh, I was going to say, yeah, some like along those lines is the idea of describing the color such and such really red to someone who's blind. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, the taste of someone who... Taste of, of sugar. Describe the taste of sugar. And... You mean you can't really say sweet because that's not really describing this the taste because how do you know what sweet tastes like? So yeah, stuff like that is like is always interesting for um, creative writing prompts that I had in high school. I used to love creative writing. Yeah, it was definitely a difficult one for me, but also one that I had a lot of fun with once I was able to get going. <laughs> It, it was always the starting. It's the, I don't know where to start. 
And it's like, well, if you just start with the first thought that comes down to your head, then you can just kind of ramble on in free writing. So. I think there was a class that I took senior year, and I don't remember what it was. But I had... Okay, so freshman year and then again in junior year, I had uh, a teacher named Catherine Dalton, or Miss Dalton, one of my favorite teachers ever. Uh, And senior year, she was offering creative writing, but I didn't take it immediately. I took something else. And whatever the other class was, I did it for a while, but I really didn't like it. And I didn't see how it was going to benefit me might have been like AP physics or I don't even remember what it was it was something that I I didn't I didn't want to stick with whatever it was and I took creative writing and I was so much happier it's completely worth the switch for my senior year yeah all right after that I had written focus on problems to draw you into the state of figuring solutions out And then semi-related under that, I have, in quote marks, designs find me when I'm distracted. I definitely know the, like, the coming up with solutions when you're distracted. Um, It's, I don't know what it is about it, but, like, that break of focus allows you to actually, like, relax your mind. And then all of a sudden the ideas start flowing. Um, So I certainly understand that one. What was the first part of that? So I had focus on problems to draw you into the state of figuring solutions out. Yeah. Um, And I definitely think it's important to look at a problem in the sense of what are the many different ways you can find a solution for it. Um, Because that will help you in the long run throughout so many different things. But if you're looking at, say, like choreography or whatever and you're stuck on something... You know, if you focus on the problem and you're like, okay, I need to get between this wall and this wall in four steps and land on the the left foot so I can start on the right, you know, you start looking at, okay, well, how are the many different ways I can do that? And you start experimenting with those. And then sooner or later, you'll find some type of combination that will get you there. Just whether or not you like it and you think it's good. After that, I have here, and I'm sure this was from Tim Ferriss, uh, (laughs) disable the frontal cortex's judgment and criticism. Two shots of espresso with two shots of vodka. So I guess the vodka is to disable your your feeling of judgment and criticism it like quiets or confuses the critical part of your brain and then the espresso makes other connections happen which I I have felt definitely on days when I have coffee on an empty stomach and it really goes straight to my brain I'll start thinking of ideas without even requesting them from my brain my brain will just deliver them to me I'm like why were you thinking about that I was going to my next gig we're thinking about guitar stuff right now but here you are telling me that if you did this at an event, it would be the coolest thing and nobody's ever done it before. I don't know where it comes from, but the coffee helps. Um, considering I don't really drink and I've been caffeine-free for over six months now, <laughs> I'm not sure when I'll be able to actually implement this idea to test it. 
But it sounds intriguing enough. It it is if you take away the actual literal like idea of you know um, alcohol and the literal idea of, of caffeine or espresso. Um, the alcohol is just supposed to represent the idea of what would it look like if you didn't criticize yourself if you told yourself that anything was possible um, whereas the uh, espresso is the one that's giving you the fuel to do it just go for it so that then turns into well if you've gotten the negative this isn't going to work out out of the way now it's just a matter of taking that step and that leap to do it so that I think that is certainly something that's scary but it is one thing that I know firsthand it can be very rewarding a perfect example would be the first time I taught line dance you know it's very scary it's very talked myself out of it and then yeah, I went into teaching it and went, oh, what would it look like if it did work out? Let's just go. And and then once I was teaching, then the gates opened to figure out, like, how to explain things. And I just kind of had to be creative on the spot and try and describe steps when they would be struggling with something, um, which kind of can somewhat relate to the espresso idea. Um, you know, take the risk. After that, I have here more lifestyle stuff, I guess. Wake at sunrise. 10 to 12.30, work before decisions are made. If you aren't fatigued yet, you'll decide to explore every path, which may lead you to your destination. 21 minutes, Zen meditation, two times daily. And then probably something you would be able to speak to. Get a private workshop, safety, to explore and discover. I think I'm intrigued to see you explain this a little bit deeper for me to then build on top of what's kind of forming right now. Okay, dokie. So uh, waking at sunrise is just practical. It'll save you on electric bills. Um, and then if you're doing your work between 10 and 1230, as I'm assuming Tim Ferriss does, um, you are able to make more decisions before you reach decision fatigue. And over the course of the day, I've seen people write about how you make enough decisions that after a while you just can't do it anymore. Like you decide what to wear, what to eat, uh, which emails to open, which calls to make. And after a while you're just done. You don't want to make decisions anymore. You just want to kind of go home and watch TV. Um, if you make all your important decisions early, then you still have the capacity to do that. And you will use your maybe 15 decisions that you're able to make all toward creative pursuits and as opposed to wasting 12 of them on trivial things and only have the having the energy for three that you really care about before you get tired okay and then for 21 minutes in meditation two times daily i think that was just something he mentioned that was a good idea um for clearing the mind being present focusing on like what is in your immediate environment including yourself and then get a private workshop safety to explore and discover so many times that has been uh, what I've needed for choreography 
even somewhere like Costco, where everyone around is strangers, and you're in like the back section where the water is, that can be easier of a space to work in than some place where people know you, because then you feel like people can judge you and ask questions and critique things that you're not even done with. Or they'll try to learn it, and you're like, but I'm not done with that section yet. I might change that completely, and then you'll already have imprinted, and you'll tell me you don't like the thing that I end up settling on later because I changed it from what you knew. So, yeah, having a private workshop, or in my case, the garage, uh, which is what I mostly use, sometimes the kitchen, sometimes um, the shower, (laughs) if there's room, um, sometimes the space in front of the bathroom sink, sometimes my floor in the, the bedroom where, uh, you know, my other various accoutrements are not taking up space. As long as no one's around and I can just kind of try everything and discard things immediately, uh, I feel comfortable. And right now the sunset is amazing. Everyone should come move to California. Uh, and if you figure out how to find cheap rent, tell us, and we'll move there. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I keep looking out the window because it's absolutely stunning right now. It's got this gorgeous pink and purple and gray hue, along with this really just pretty yellowish orange color. It, it's very cool. Um, as for the getting up at sunrise. I am not a morning person. I'm just not. I'm not like a mean morning person. I just don't human in the mornings. Um, I'm very autopilot. However, I have noticed over the last few weeks at getting up at, you know, before seven o'clock in the morning has certainly given me more time during my day. I feel like I have a good long chunk of day as opposed to if I was to get up at, say, noon and then be like, oh, look, I slept half the day away. And then nighttime comes around and I still have all these things I wanted to get done. And then I stay up really, really late. And yes, very vicious cycle you have to be careful of. Um, I understand the idea of, like, making all your important decisions earlier in the morning because they've done several different scientific studies and I wish I can remember the woman in which I heard this talk from. Um, She was actually talking about how um, having like emotionally indifferent people in your life is actually worse for you than having toxic people in your life. Um, because being emotionally indifferent, you can't really, like, it takes more energy and more thought process from you as the individual to maintain that friendship than it does someone toxic. And the reason why, real quick, is the idea of, like, you know, if you have Sally at the office that is just way you know, toxic, way gossipy, way not your cup of tea. And then you have, you know, Mary at the office that just kind of is like, yeah, whatever. We could hang out if you want. We don't have to. 
you know, whatever, I don't care. Like, Sally asks you to lunch, you're going to be like, no, it's cool, I'm good. But if Mary does, you have to be like, okay, I do I want to have lunch with Mary? Is it is this going to be a good experience for me? Am I going to enjoy this? Is this going to be a smart decision? Is this something I want to do? You put more thought process into the actual decision of going to lunch with Mary, which then exhausts you. And you actually only have so much mental processing power and mental time during the day. So, relating that back to decision making, if you're able to get the important decisions done in the beginning of the day, you're able to make those decisions, one, and get them out of the way, but two, also, you're not going to be late at night when you're absolutely exhausted going, oh, crap, I needed to make that decision and now I don't have... I don't have the mental fortitude to actually weigh the pros and cons of what a yes or no would be, you know. Um, So I certainly understand the idea of really looking at what decisions you need to make early on and having the energy to do so. Um, I like the idea of doing the meditation twice a day. I think that's a really neat idea. It'll probably take me a while before I ever actually implement something like that in my life because that takes process and habit forming. Um, But I think it's a really cool idea to kind of like refresh yourself and hit the reset button so that like potentially you can come out and have, you know, a clear head. You don't have all these other decisions going on in your head and now you get to approach new situations and make new, you know, decisions. Um as well as that potentially will erase all of the chaos that's going on in your head about one decision that might allow you to come up with new points as to why you should lean one way or the other on a decision. Um, And as for a, a private safe space, I certainly know the benefits of having someone there with you. Um, as you're learning, as you're choreographing, as you're teaching, because you can get that immediate feedback. I also know how important it is to do certain things 100% by yourself before you're ready to show someone. Um, because it can be extremely discouraging if you're halfway through a thought process and someone goes, no, I don't like that. It's like, ah, okay. Um, I know I'm guilty of it as well. Is the, well, I don't know about that one, but yeah, I'll try it. And having even just that tint of negative could um, affect the person coming up with the suggestion. Um, It can be certainly challenging when you're suggesting something and everything you suggest is a no. So having a couple things really solidified and as to why you like something or why something works or I think that can certainly help um I know for me it's a real challenge to work on technique with anyone around however I also know it's more important for me to work on technique with people around um but it's really hard to be that vulnerable for someone to critique you Um, and tell you you're doing it wrong because 
as you said earlier, no one wants to be a bad dancer. So um, having a private space that you can escape to, and yes, I use the word escape, um, to really just kind of experiment yourself is, is certainly a nice and I think necessary um, a thing when it comes to learning or experimenting with different dances and learning and describing things and so on and so forth. Regarding emotional indifference, I'm pretty sure this came from a Tim Ferriss podcast episode as well. Somebody was saying that they make decisions or decide whether to take on projects or prioritize things by asking on a scale of 1 to 10 how much do I want to do this and I'm not allowed to say 7 if it's 6 or below just don't do it take some other opportunity or leave the space open for one and if it's 8 or above that's probably good you know 8 or above is probably worthwhile not everything's going to be 10 and you can still apply the heck yes or no philosophy to an 8 or above because maybe the 8 means there's still room for I don't know, you know, it might it might not do anything for me in the long run or it might be risky, but you know, at face value it sounds good. You know, it sounds like it's at least worth trying. Whereas 10 is like, oh no, all systems go, everything about this is guaranteed to be bliss. 7 though, what does 7 even give you? 7 is like, yeah, it sounds all right, but do you want to do everything in your life as well, that was all right and I mean, I didn't I didn't take any chances and yeah, it paid okay, and I mean, she has some flaws, but uh, I don't know. She, she's usually better. She's just kind of, you know, she's there. I like that she's there. It's all she really needs to do is be there. Like, you don't, you don't want any of these things in your life to be sevens, um, when you know they could be eight or above, and sevens take up space. Six or below is just not even worth considering. You know, have have better. Um, control over not putting those in your life to begin with and you won't have to deal with digging them out once they're there so yeah don't be emotionally indifferent and you will find yourself in an exciting and polarizing uh, state of mind okie dokie next up I have here I could have sworn we talked about this one before creation invites critique Discovery of what is true invites debate over whether it is true. And the way that uh, connects to choreography is I ask people sometimes, do you think that you invented this dance or did you discover the steps that were most appropriate to the song based on the ones that you know? Because nobody really, other than Rachel and Roy, not a lot of people invent for the very first time patterns within line dance. So many of them have already been mapped and applied to other dances. So really what you're doing as the choreographer is not starting from scratch and moving in a way that nobody has ever moved before. It's just saying, I think this would feel the best here for this song at this tempo, on this surface, in this environment. And if you are bold enough to propose your 32 counts to the entire world as being the best ones possible so that you're willing to put your name on it and even title it the name of the song and say this is the dance that goes to the song 
the one that everyone should do, then you are inviting debate because you are suggesting to the world, I have discovered the truest and fullest expression and pairing of movement with song in this dance. And that, of course, is open for debate because other people will disagree and they will also title their dance the name of the song and say this is the dance that you should be doing. So that in a nutshell um, is how this little bit ties into line dance. Creation invites critique. Discovery of what is true invites debate over whether it is true. Yeah, I can certainly see how pretty much everything you said would um, describe what you had written down. Um, Yeah, I don't know if I can... I don't know if I can add anything to that because it pretty much covered most of it. Yeah, and it's very easy, of course, to hem and haw about like, oh, well, I don't know if this is the best. And like, I know I have had projects start and never finish because I couldn't find definitively and declaratively the steps that should go with certain counts in a song. So I could not propose that to the world and say, this is what you can do and feel the, the best doing when the song comes on. And if I can't say that, then I can either leave a bunch of open counts and say, have fun with it, which is fine. Some dances do that. Um, or I can just not release it and not ever make a statement on which should be done. Of course, I can also look at other dances and be like, well, that shouldn't be done. <laughs> I don't want to do that. That that doesn't seem very satisfying at all. It's just not very productive when you don't have an alternative solution. So in cases like that, maybe this is like tying into a more of a moral statement, but you know, if you if you can't say something nice, don't say something at all. Or what we were saying in the last episode on Move Radio, uh, don't bring up a problem if you can't offer a solution. Even if it's a little hazarded guess at what you think might be better to do for that song, it's still better than saying, well, that song's terrible, or that dance is terrible, and it doesn't fit it at all. Okay, great. So, so what fits it? They took the chance, and they put their name out there for everyone to see... And you are doing what? Armchair choreography? Tell us what we should be doing. Oh, master of dance. Getting fired up over here. I, I can hear that. <laughs> um, yeah, there is certainly something to be said about just sitting on the sidelines and complaining about how the game's played. But, um, yeah. I mean, again. All right. Next up I have here... Studying the words... I have no idea what the words refers to. Studying the words like a scholar is looking at the finger which points to the moon. Look at the moon. Wash the dishes. This is all Zen stuff, I guess. Chop the carcass. Interface with reality. Immerse in the flow and be. Becoming one with the mountain on skis. Becoming one with the song's story. Lights air and group movements 
even evacuation and entering slash exiting a festival, being part of a moving queue of enthusiasts can be exciting. Low challenge with high skill can become higher challenge if attempting to navigate among dense crowds at high speeds. More obstacles to increase challenge. And then I list a number of obstacle examples that we can get into separately. But I think the idea behind that very long abstract set of thoughts was... You can talk about, again, like you were saying, you know, talk about how the game is played, or you can get in there on the floor and do it. You, you can theorize about what should be done in your choreography, and then when you get out of the car and try it on your feet, you find, oh, that doesn't feel very good. I don't know what I was thinking, but at least you tried. And there have definitely been times where it's in like studying the words like a scholar is looking at the finger which points to the moon I have definitely studied Rachel's choreography tried to figure out patterns why she does certain things in almost all of her dances not specific movements but little concepts like there's always a hook there's something that's never been done before even if it's minor it's, it's never been done before in that way It's a little twist on something familiar. Uh, She'll set up patterns and break them. Uh, She doesn't typically travel you all over the different walls that you could be facing until she's finished out each concept on that wall. She'll get you through a whole set of things for an eight count, and then once the pattern is completed, she'll take you to the next one. Maybe even have a pattern break that bridges you to the next one. So there are things that can give you ideas for how you would want to choreograph based on how she does. But really, instead of studying what she has done with many dances set to many songs, at some point, you need to listen to your own song and find out what the story is and stand up on your feet and feel the weight of your body on the ground and really let in every factor and variable in your environment to see what are you feeling pushed to do what is coming naturally and what is satisfying to complete a set of and that's probably more like what she does when she dances she's not I I doubt she is uh, thinking about checking off a bunch of things that she does every time, I'm pretty sure she starts over every time and really digs into the guts of a song so that it moves her into whatever she ends up doing. After the fact is when all the the general principles become apparent. But I don't think she starts from the principles. She just keeps doing what comes naturally and those principles happen to be discoverable over time and over many examples. Do you, when you choreograph, start from digging into the guts, or do you try to think about all of the stuff that's going to be on the step sheet? Is this going to be four walls, 32 counts? What kind of beginner, whatever, improver, intermediate difficulty level am I looking at? Who is this going to be danced by? Do I want a senior dance? Do I want a UK popular dance? Do I want something for 
uh, you know, elementary school kids that they can do on one wall? Do you just kind of move and see, oh, well, hmm, I have a lot of intermediate feeling steps that I like doing. I guess this is an intermediate dance. Or do you have a blend? Like, what is the process for you? Um, generally, there is one instance in which this is not actually the case. But generally, um, the song has got to grab me. I have had, I have to feel something in my guts for the song for me to even remotely press repeat, let alone listen to it a hundred times in a row to make sure I'm not sick of the song um, before I even start anything. Like, because this has to be a song that I feel an attachment to. It has to be a song that I feel a representation in the song or that the song will represent me in some way, shape, or form. Um, And go from there. Once I've listened to the song like a hundred times, I start forming feelings of like, okay, a sway would be good here. Or a heel jack. I can see... I can see Monterey turns. I can see... What what else can I see in this dance? And then from there, I start moving. Um, Sometimes I don't even go and touch on the the movements that I said I see in the dance. Um, um, And I just kind of... I kind of play with the movement of it. And it's like, yeah, okay, I do want to dance this. Then I'll break it down. It's like, okay, is this a six count? Is this an eight count? Okay, this is an eight count. How many, how many, what's the phrasing like? Is it insane? Is it straightforward? Is it 32? Is it 48? What, what am I looking at here? How many tags and restarts? Um, can I, do I feel like I could dance through the tags and restarts? Um, or would I really throw things off phrase uh, from there? I don't generally go into a dance thinking I need a beginner dancer, I need an intermediate dance. Um, I did it with when it came to um, my Uber driver, we had we listened to the song a couple times and charted it out and kind of play with steps and got something together and scrapped it and got something together and scrapped it again and and then finally um we were you know like getting to the point where we're sending completely new dances back and forth to each other and then my partner decided that she liked what I had come up with so that I should do it solo but when we were first discussing it we were talking about how it wouldn't the song feels like you can pull off a good, sturdy beginner dance to it, and we needed a beginner dance for the category in which I would be teaching it in. So it worked out that we decided what the difficulty level should be before we really started choreographing it. But generally, I will do the, okay, how does this feel afterwards? Because I want to discover the best possible steps for the song and if that just so happens to be beginner steps, then great. If that just so happens to be, you know, intermediate advance, then great. You know, it just is what am I feeling while I'm choreographing this dance? Um, 
and it's a lot of it is based on feel and emotion and movement more so than like strategic planning in a way um because for me I relate to the songs and the dances emotionally when they're other people's I don't I don't look at for example I won't learn a Rachel dance because it's Rachel's dance I won't do that. I love her and I think she's amazing as a choreographer, but there's a lot of stuff that she has choreographed that just doesn't speak to me. So I don't want to spend the time to put it in my body if I'm not going to enjoy dancing it. That is not what she would want. She would want somebody to enjoy that dance that she put out. So the dance and song has to speak to me. So when I'm creating it, or discovering it, depending on how you want to look at it, I go with that same thought process that I want to feel connected to it. I want to look back at this dance and be like, yes, I still enjoy dancing this. I'm not in the same mindset anymore, but I still enjoy dancing it. You know, something like that. Let's see what I have after that. Oh, right. Haha. So then, that was when I got into... um, obstacles and how it can be exciting when you're doing normal things like you do every day walking you know you walk you just walk around no obstacles you're on the sidewalk and then you're walking through a convention hall or casino and there are people everywhere and now you're trying to find the most direct route the fastest way to get there cutting in and out trying to predict where are they going to be at their speed a few steps from now so you know where you need to be to get between those two groups who are both heading your way you know who do you need to step in front of and beside and all that stuff so then I listed all these obstacles that can make you feel more engaged and present even when you're otherwise doing cuba shuffle or something easier Uh, I have here tempo Your limited body is the obstacle. So that would be something like um, speeding up and slowing down stitches. Or chill factor. Or kick and rock. Or skiffle time. Or anything. Is it or anything? Yep. These are all examples that we've actually seen. So um, try those. Speed them up. And your obstacle is getting your own body out of the way so you can do the next steps. Uh, Then another challenge would be navigation. People around you are the obstacle, like Ghost Train and Chill Factor's Contra. So locally, sometimes people will do Ghost Train as a Contra dance, and then when they're doing the weave, they'll kind of pass by each other. And to go Super Contra, they do all four directions sometimes. Uh, That becomes a big, giant mess, and it's kind of fun to watch. Let's see, there's also uh, Dizzy Contra, Chill Factor Contra. Oh, I think the people behind us just discovered their high beams were on. No, they just moved over. Oh, they just moved over? Good for them. All right. Um, and let's see, what was the... Oh, yes, um, navigation. The obstacle there would be, can you still do the steps that you're supposed to be doing for the dance without bumping into the people who are in your path 
or stopping so abruptly that the people behind you bump into you. Because sometimes you have to not run into the guy ahead of you and the person behind you is still charging ahead. So how do you let them know that you're not going to you know, brake check them, so to speak? How do you get around people when you're doing a motion that has to predict the, mo- the movements of West Coast swing dancers or two-steppers? Yeah, that can be tricky. Uh, a fun challenge, though. After that, I have articulation. Slap in leather and then an arrow pointed to larger-than-life's footwork. Look up these obstacles as principles in other fields like temperature, pressure, moisture. Oh, yes, that's a different field entirely. To discover what others exist. Uh, Let's see. Oh, yes. So, I guess... If those obstacles... uh, If you were to look up, let's say, articulation... um, Oh, and I think I know what I was talking about with the slapping leather and larger-than-life footwork bit. Uh, The slapping part of slapping leather, where you do the um, foot-to-hand bit, and in larger-than-life, you have scuff, scuff, hitch, down, slap, down, and then moving forward. Uh, That little bit of articulation will affect how confident you feel in the dance. So you could just do vine right, vine left, walk forward, walk back kind of dance, but having articulation as your obstacle can help sharpen your mind as well. By looking up what obstacles are common in other fields, you can then see how those would apply to enhance your enjoyment of dance. Like where else is navigation an obstacle that makes things more exciting? Uh, Where else is articulation like maybe in vocal control, uh, an obstacle that makes things uh, more um, enhancing of your talents when you master them. I think that's all I had on that section. So what, what are your thoughts on uh, added ab- obstacles that... Oh, like even getting around in traffic. That can make a drive more exciting. Trying to find out who's going to make some questionable decisions and who is safe enough to be beside for a while... Um, who is probably going to get flagged for weaving and uh, who can be your rabbit if they're going a little faster than you and uh, you don't want yourself to be the ticketed party Uh, what other obstacles make things interesting for general life I love the one of getting around lines at Disneyland I was just going to say that (laughs) I would say, yeah, no, when you were describing, like, the obstacles and, like, moving around people, I was thinking about Disneyland and, like, knowing the layout as well as I do and knowing where I can cut through to get to certain rides um, and what's the best route to take to get to the certain ride um, that, although there'll be people there, will not, you know, it'll be the shorter, faster route, um... And it certainly can sometimes be very exciting with the adrenaline rush that is Disneyland um, and wanting to get to the next ride. I know as a kid, my cousin, my aunt, and myself would run to the next line um, because we wanted to get there faster. (laughs) Um, It's a little bit different now that I'm older. Because you're going to run faster. 
no. But um, I used to be a soccer player. Now, no, not so much. Running is just such a chore. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think there's a, a certain appreciation that comes from the... I'll get there. It's okay. Um, but still have that excitement to know that you're getting there. Um, I do know that obstacles in driving can be quite frustrating as opposed to more of the excitement factor. Um, so I found it interesting that you used that other than the fact that I was just trying to figure out how to, you know, merge over three lanes. Um, trying to think. I definitely think, I don't know if I'd describe it as obstacles, but having the, like, the slapping part in uh, Slap and Leather and in Larger Than Life, as well as something weird and unique, like the towel in Do Something Crazy, um, definitely adds to the the level of focus in your mind and like how you have to actually focus on where you're hitting, how hard you're hitting, um, your timing, as well as like with the towel bit in, you know, do something crazy. You could very easily choke yourself very easily. So that, that I would certainly think of that as a type of obstacle, but not everyone likes that either. Surprising, I know. Go ahead. Anyways, awkward turtle. Um, I would love to know who's still listening to this at this point in our drive. <laughs> I'm betting Jamie. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Jamie. <laughs> um, no, I. It, it definitely adds a level of difficulty that could be seen as an obstacle from normal dancing. I mean, just simply taking your hands off your buckles and having arm movements can be seen as an obstacle because you don't want to smack the person in front of you or behind you or beside you. But also it's something that just pushes that comfort level and makes you think that much harder and think that much quicker. And it really does push you into a different level, I guess you could say. Um, and I think that's really, really important to have in dancing um, for many different reasons. One, just to push you into becoming a better version of yourself as well as, you know, give more options to people out there. Because not everybody's going to like the arm movements, but not everybody wants to keep their arms by their side, but, you know. So I think it's really important to have those options. All right, let's see I after that, I have here, forget yourself, act effortlessly. Obstacles to this. When you're doing a different dance than the main, mobility is insufficient. You are an observed minority on the dance floor. All too familiar with that. Um... Yeah, I can definitely see, for instance, the few times that we'll floor split off in the teeny tiny corner, just the two of us, different dances that we know, um, is definitely a challenge. Because one, you're the only, you know, two or three people out there doing it. 
But two, you have to take into consideration that the majority is going to be moving one way or the other. So you have to be aware of how your dance moves in comparison to their dance so that you're not colliding with each other um, because you chose to split the floor. Um, I'm not sure about the forget yourself part. Well, it's the idea of um, forgetting that you're there and just existing in the dance. Like, there are definitely dances where you get wrapped up in the story, like She Used to Be Mine, or sometimes Love Remains, where you don't see yourself as a dancer dancing a dance on a dance floor. You see the existence of this feeling, and that's it. And then you're gone for four minutes. Okay, I can definitely relate to that personally, just exactly what you said, especially in those examples you gave. (laughs) Um... I think, I think it is important to have those moments. Um, I, I would actually describe that more as the zone than any time else, is when you just completely lose all um, outside influences. I feel like you can really get down and raw with yourself at that point. All right. Next I have retyping relevant parts of article combined with my relevant insights combined with my relevant insights, turns their content satisfyingly gray in my mind. I'm not sure what I mean by that. Retyping relevant parts of an article combined with my relevant insights turns their content satisfyingly gray. Why gray? (laughs) Is that a good thing? Because blue's pretty? I don't know. Definitely looking at the lines of black and white if you're referring to gray as Ooh. as that. Okay. Okay. I can kind of see that. Because then what it does is it doesn't make it, here are the facts from the article that I read, and this is what the author said, and you can cite the sources. Instead, it's like, well, here's this thought I have, but it's not really based on anything solid, and it's just kind of airy, and maybe that's the white. Um, let's merge this with some things that are backing that up. And, oh, you know what? Maybe this hunch I have combined with these facts that I read can suggest in pencil, gray, if you will, a possible way that things are, a proposed reality. So it's not the pen of the article or the unwritten thoughts that have no form or feeling that has no form it's the ability to combine those two and sketch out what might be the case but it's still open to erasing and rewriting depending what other black print you read somewhere else or what other feeling softens the darkness of the gray that you've already written into maybe something that you can shape into something else Yay, I helped. <laughs> Yay, thanks. All right. After that. I think this is probably going to be the last question. Yeah, I think this is going to be the last one because the, uh, the street lights are coming a little more sporadically. I'm going to be reading like two words at a time. In flow. Oh, good. It's about flow. So, uh, so it'll be relevant to the way things started here. Um, in flow, you're progressing. In the mashup, for example. This is the one where I did 11 dances in one song. Um, greater speed tighter turns slash articulation, less exhaustion. In flow, you're progressing. And then finally, look forward to your uninterruptible office hours like you would going to a dance club. 
so I guess we're kind of going to a dance club that is our office hours because we're going to be that's like you dance at the office I don't know but anyway um, so in flow you are progressing in the mashup for example greater speed tighter turns less exhaustion huh you're progressing in flow so I think um, one of the things that they say about the components of a flow state is you have to match your ability level with a slightly higher challenge so that you grow into being able to do it. And with the mashup, I mean, yes, many of us have learned 32 count dances and then, you know, we've learned 64 count dances. But when you take 11 dances and put them all into one, then that's like learning a several hundred count single dance. So there already you're having to grow by learning many dances and when to do them during which part of the song when it's not really entirely obvious. Um, It's faster than any of those dances are normally done. And you have to transition very quickly in tight turns and switches of foot uh, Into into the next dance. And I'm trying to remember what the third thing was that I said... Let's see if the green LED... Oh, yeah, that just shows me what it says. Um, oh, yeah, less exhaustion. It is very tiring. Um, if you're coming in cold, if you're not warmed up at all, and you just blast into 11 dances at that speed, then after a while of doing it, you start to feel like you can handle it, you can manage it. But uh, under less than ideal conditions, it will really push you past your normal comfort zone. So... I guess it's just making a statement on flow state being something that helps you grow. And maybe if you're not feeling like you're growing, maybe you are less likely to enter a flow state and you should find ways to challenge yourself. Maybe that's related to all those obstacles I just talked about uh, in a few lines before this one. Um, See what other obstacles you can develop for yourself if they don't present themselves for you uh, that will help you grow and more deeply immerse yourself into dance. Yes, um, I do agree with pretty much everything you were saying. Um, it definitely is challenging when you have to think about learning 11 32-count dances and putting them together and then switching in between them to a faster song and everything. Um, for those who saw the performance at Showdown, it was one of the pieces we performed there just to give you an idea. Um, But yes, I I can see how that would push your capabilities, which then would in turn give you more options of entering flow state um, in the sense that like some of the dances that maybe were challenging before then become a little less challenging so you're able to enter... Um, that level a little bit sooner Um, as well as you know you can get lost very easily in the 11-11 mashup in the sense of like okay this is what's coming next this is what's coming next this is what's coming next as opposed to worrying about the hundreds of thousands of people that are potentially watching you because they were filming it on live so it was certainly easier to get distracted um, by the dance than it was 
by the people. And I think the following point kind of relates if you look at it like sometimes you have to challenge yourself because there isn't always somebody who's going to do it for you. Not everybody has a coach or a competition that they're entering and it's very easy to say, I'll just kind of rest on where I am right now in dance and uh, you know, do whatever is presented uh, at the club. But if you do feel some... Not everybody has this either, but you know, if you do feel some urge to grow... Sometimes you have to make your own office hours. You have to say, I'm going to go into this space and I am going to set some goals for myself or create obstacles for myself because not enough exists yet. And I am going to, to try doing things that are uncomfortable for myself so that I will grow. And you need to look forward to those hours as much as you would anything like... Uh, you know, a night out where they decide the hours. They say, this is when you're dancing. It's Thursday, Saturday, from this hour to this hour. Um, you look forward to that because it's out of your control, but you need to create the, your, uh, those hours for yourself sometimes when other people won't do it enough to help you grow. Okie dokie. And with that, we have arrived at the start of our hours here at... Oh, is that Jenna? Jenna Corv? Oh, no. Oh, it's bouncy hair like her. Anyway, we have arrived in front of Stoney's Rock and Rodeo here in... Sacramento, California, and we are going to jump into a night of dancing and potentially read some more notes to you on the way home. Maybe we'll hit our our remaining hours uh, at the conclusion of that segment. Thank you very much for listening to us here on Line Dance Podcast with Christopher Gonzalez and Megan Barcelia. And until next time, we will see, see you, you on, on the, the dance, dance floor. floor.